rocks of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold, Achilles and Welcome everybody to episode number 298 of the Extra Podcast. Not 298? I know. Creeping we're, up on 300. We're almost at 300. So apparently in episode 200, there were some some claims made and maybe those come what back. Were they? Something about a KFC double down. Oh, Double that, uh, uh, those? Uh, do they even make those anymore? I don't know. I heard. Though, I hope so. I heard that if if they can we get should them, those are actually going to show up. We should absolutely be eating the double down for KFC at episode three hundred. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, if those are out there, or any feel free to bring KFC. those in. Any, any. Yes, yeah, that's I true. I had KFC the other day, and it reminded me of how much I love KFC. Yes, KFC is delicious. You know, KFC is more... By the way, this is Jeff, and that's Andy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I missed my intros. <laughs> yeah. no, Jeff's going to do you. my job for me. So, the KFC is surprisingly popular overseas. It is. Yes. Like, I've been to Beijing, China, and there's a KFC there, and I've been to Thailand, to Bangkok, there's KFC there. KFC and Pizza Hut are around the world. Do you really? know, I think they're owned by the same company, PepsiCo. Uh, they, mm, that yeah. would make sense. Yeah, I think Pepsi owns owns all of them and and is getting into all those air. Bur- is, is Burger King? I think is owned by PepsiCo. Is it? That Somebody's would make sense because that. you see know. those three all the time. Yeah. You can Google you that and, and let us know. Yeah, you can, totally. You can fill us in on our Facebook page. Taco and, Bell. No. No Taco I Bell. Wish I know, Taco I think Bell Taco was Bell's, around the world. Th- yeah, but I think they're owned by PepsiCo. Oh. Hmm. That's well, what's crazy is the more love that you Taco spend Bell. time looking at some of these different businesses, the more you realize that there are like four businesses in the world. <laughs> That's there's it. Amazon, there's Amazon, Google, Apple, and PepsiCo. There it That's is. That's it. And Coca-Cola. <laughs> there are none others. Nope. Coca-Cola. No. Okay. Coke five. Five. Coca-Cola. All right. Coca-Cola. Great. Well, that was interesting. Today's episode brought to you by KFC. Um, I wish. Right. Don't we all? <laughs> so this last weekend, Jeff, you were preaching out of Matthew 19. And the main point of that passage is divorce and marriage. But there's another interesting aspect of that passage that um, Jesus kind of talks about, but isn't really the main thrust of the passage. So in the sermon doesn't really get brought up. But could you talk a little bit about how Jesus views scripture inside of this passage in Matthew 19? Yeah. You know, if you're going to, if you ever want to talk to somebody about about the scriptures and want to see an example of how Jesus viewed it, because that's we we would like our view of the Bible to be one that that Jesus has, right? If at any point you find that your view of scripture is less than his, you probably should amend it. Or if you were to conclude that Jesus that your view is hi, is higher than Jesus, although that, I'm not sure that's possible, but if you were to conclude that, you should lower your view of scripture. But Matthew 19 is one of those great texts that actually gives an example of how, how Jesus viewed uh, Scripture. And so uh, the passage we were reading, this is in the English Standard Version, in Matthew 19, verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And of course they're trying to draw on the idea, uh, uh, they're trying to draw on a debate they were having among themselves uh, about the interpretation of a, of a biblical text, Deuteronomy 24, and how it should be understood. So, Verse four, he answered, uh, have you not read what he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female and said, and I'll read that phrase again because I kind of blundered it. But when Jesus answers, he, he, he says, well, have you, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made the, he made them male and female. It's talking about God made the male and female. And God said, 
And then he quotes Genesis. Now, this is a really important point because Jesus does not say, don't you know what Moses said at the beginning? In other places, he does say something like that, right? As it is written in the law of Moses or whatever. But here he equates the words of Moses written down in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 1. He, he equates them with God's speech. So, so he can say, God says, right? So this, you see this in other places uh, when the Old Testament is quoted. It says, thus saith the Lord right? Or prophet of God will say that. They, they, cl- they claim that they are speaking God's very words. And one of the critiques that has happened over the last, I don't know, three, four hundred years, uh, yeah, probably since the Enlightenment era came around, is that can we really trust the Bible? And when we read it, isn't it just the words of men? And aren't those, don't those men basically just have, have uh, lenses on? And so we get a little bit of God somewhere in there, and the Bible contains the Word of God, which is the language that's often used. But Jesus doesn't view it that way. He doesn't say, well, this contains the Word of God. He's actually saying that this text, anyway, is the Word of God. So um, this gives you a good idea as to his overall take on these things. Second Timothy 3, Paul says something similar. All, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for several things, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. So... Uh, his view is really, really high. What's interesting about the passage, though, is it is it continues talking, uh, you know, in a, in a, or it's, an, it's it continues being an example of how we ought to read scripture, as well. Uh, so and, and where the authority of the scripture comes from, right? These aren't Jeff's words; these are no God's words, or That's these right. aren't well, Moses' they, words. These well, they are. are. I mean, if you if Jesus were standing there and you asked him, was are those Moses' words? Sure. Because, like I said, in other places he cites, he says this is from when Moses says. But, but here, my point is that he's saying God's saying it. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important uh, piece. Then he quotes it. Uh, he said, uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer, which is an amalgamation, just so you know, of Genesis 1, I think 26 or 27. And, and Genesis 2, uh, I can't remember exactly, like 20-something. So he takes them and he puts them together, kind of a summary of, of God's creative intent with people. Uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh, verse six, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, okay, well then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, divorce and send her away? And so they're, they're citing Deuteronomy 24 saying, well, we'll take your Bible verse, Jesus, or your two Bible verses in Genesis, and we will raise you two Bible verses in Deuteronomy. See, the Bible is hard to understand. Don't you see? It's just contradictory at several points. And we can't, this is what modern people say, Mm -hmm. right? Who, Who knows what it says? If that were true, you would expect the next words to come out of Jesus' mouth, that they would be something like, you guys are right. I know Moses wrote both these things, Deuteronomy and Genesis. And I, Maybe he just was, I don't know, confused or whatever. But the Bible is just this sort of loose amalgamation of different people's thoughts or maybe the same guy's thoughts at different times in his life. And they're really hard to understand. And it sort of contradicts itself. So, yeah, don't worry about it. But that's not what he says. Uh, 
he said to them, verse eight, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. So they said that Moses commanded and Jesus says, no, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here's what Jesus has essentially done. He's basically said, no, 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 there's a right answer to this. And the, the right answer is there's, there's, a, there's an explanation for why it is these two texts are in Scripture and one takes precedent over the other. Here's the theological explanation. Here's what God is doing. There's a right answer to your understanding here. Don't play hermeneutical like hide and seek here. It's not hard. You should understand that you read the Bible wrong. You read a command where there was a concession. Got it? So I'm, what I'm saying is this passage has a lot to say about the authority of Scripture and has a lot to say about the, the clarity of Scripture and about hermeneutics and how we should read the Bible and understand that there is uh, there are right and wrong answers regarding what verses mean and don't mean, and you can usually figure those things out, at least in the example here. You figure these things out by the use of the words and the context in which they find that you find them. Yeah, that idea, though, that whole idea of there are right and wrong interpretations to passages of scripture is not a very popular popular one these days no 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 because uh we live in a funky postmodern day and postmodernism essentially says that we we sit behind uh we sit behind our own lenses and we can't really uh we we can't really um there might be truth out there but we can't access it in any real sense because we only see it from our perspective now, often what they'll do, though, is they'll just apply that to the scriptures. Exactly. And say, well, when you read the scriptures, you know, you just, you, you can't really know what it's saying, but. Because they are, they, they are the truth that sits out there and they're, people are willing to concede. Yeah, yeah, it's authoritative and true. It's just that I don't actually know what it says. And look, they're like on the internet today. How many different opinions are there about any particular passage? Seriously, how many? Or if you go to, uh, Andy, I'm thinking about the Society of Biblical Literature, right? The SBL. Yeah. You get in, in, in that, which is a, uh, an international gathering of, uh, of religious folks who study, who study the Bible. They're not Christians, all of them. But they, they get together and they have things like, uh, you know, a feminist reading of, uh, uh, of Galatians 4 or a... A, uh, a transgendered reading of like, and so they have these different readings and some person will present a paper. And the more you listen to the papers, the more you think, my goodness, you know, wonderful things in the Bible. I see things that are put there by you and by me. I mean, you just, every- right. but it's, it's always interesting, isn't it? That they'll never apply the same idea to the newspaper. No, no. Right. But to the Bible, this, they'll, they'll apply this lens where, well, I can kind of make it say whatever I want. Right. Well, say. the newspaper, the author of the newspaper article, if you take them to mean something different than what they intended to mean, will make very, very clear to you how upset they are. How dare you? Right. Uh, how, how dare you misunderstand me? In fact, I've been reading uh, a lot of reviews of a book called The Benedict Option recently. I haven't read the book yet, but I'm reading a lot of reviews of it. And Rod Dreher, who wrote the book, I, I follow his blog, and he, he's been very particular to make sure that he responds to almost all of the reviews by saying, here's why I think you misunderstood me. Right. And I, I, it's hard to read that and think to yourself. So, so there is meaning that you intended that they, that they didn't follow because they didn't read the context or didn't understand, you know, like the whole of your thought and part of the dialogue is about figuring out what the author's intent here. This is is why hermeneutics is so important. And I find a lot of Christians that come to church, you know, don't want to, they don't necessarily want to do the hard work 
of going, okay, what exactly does the text say? And if you, you're unfamiliar with the word hermeneutics, it just means the science of interpretation. Mm. So how is it that we go and read the newspaper? You know, how am I interpreting you, the newspaper? You use a hermeneutic to read it. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, you'll apply a different hermeneutic depending upon what you're reading, whether you're reading the comics mm. or you're reading an editorial. Uh, and, and, and so... When well, you, you instinctively know that there's a difference in those genres. Exactly. Like a, the comic book, the comic has the three panels and you understand how to read, you understand how to read that. And you also know how to read legal documents where every word matters and they're chosen specifically and they, you affirm certain things in legal documents and you deny certain things in legal documents. So, Whoa, we lost it, but we're back. Jeff was just talking about the difference between different genres and he was talking about legal documents and how every word matters and we know that. Yeah, you know, you grew up in... in uh, you grew up as a kid and you just kind of instinctively learn ha- how to read different stuff. And like you said, Andy, you can, you, you know, if you, if you pick up the newspaper, you know how to read a news story and you know the difference between a story that's supposed to be describing an event and an editorial that is giving an opinion about event. And sometimes people uh, make the mistake of making their news stories editorials without, you know what I mean? And we, we criticize them for that. Well, don't editorialize, we say. You're getting very preachy. But even when we use language like preachy, we understand that there is a kind of preachy genre. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And if you saw somebody reading a genre incorrectly, you would quickly correct them. Oh, totally. And we we know this is, there. there's different genres for all sorts of things that we instinctively know. Have you ever gone to a a service for something like you went to a 50th wedding anniversary, you'd know that there's a certain kind of decorum and approach mm-hmm. that the speech it should take. And that's a kind of genre that, I, I think that about exists there. The uh, Babylon B and satire. Yeah. Right. Have you started reading, you know, satire as, as though it wasn't satire, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to correct them because you're mis you're misreading. I it. get emails f- quite frequently from people who, <laughs> who, when I, when I make satirical or sarcastic <laughs> remarks are like, you shouldn't ever do that. <laughs> Because, but but you have to understand. Yeah, you that have to be careful. Though, you do. Absolutely. They don't know you're being. Oh, absolutely. Sati- yeah. Although I I try to make it kind of obvious. But. <laughs> Sometimes you have to make it really know, obvious. Totally. <laughs> anyway, the point the point here is that hermeneutics. We, we instinctively know how to do hermeneutics. We really do. It's not actually as complicated as people might. But want for some to reason, say. when we come to the Bible, yep. we throw all that out the window. Right. And we come at it like like a newborn baby, learn, yeah. like a new like a like a child it's learning a to magic read. book. Yeah. That has mag- magical things to say, which well, maybe it does. But <laughs> do you know what's interesting about that, though, Jeff? Uh, there are a lot of religions that that's exactly what they're like. Uh, Buddhism, for example, uh, Buddhism is written in Sanskrit, and I, I was just in Thailand actually with the high school missions trip, missions team, and went to a temple there. And one of the things that we often do when we do a missions trip, you know, is you know introduce you to the culture and to the religion, and we could hear. Uh, the the their scriptures being read, hmm. and we asked the Thai translator, "What's it saying?" And she said, "Well, I have no idea what it's saying." And I, you know, well, why don't you know what it's saying? Well, because they're not speaking Thai. You know, they're reading it in Sanskrit. And then you ask, "Well, well, what? Why would they do that?" And and the reason being because the power is in the pronoun the 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 words themselves, right. it, not it, the meaning of the it words. It becomes magical when you say it. They're That's like right. incantations. That have power over the world. And Islam can be very similar with how the Quran is is sung. And again, it's this idea, it's sung in Arabic. But the majority of Muslims aren't Arabic speakers, right? But again, the power is in the actual saying of the words. But Christianity is not like that. You know, I was I was reflecting on that recently. Christianity is a, is a religion that does not believe that there's 
power, you know, these magical powers in the, in the pronouncing of the words, but it's actually in the meaning of what's being conveyed through the author. Mm. And, and I think that's a, an important thing to appreciate about Christianity. Yeah, and the scriptures, and this is the point, I think bringing back to the point that we're trying to, to make here, is that uh, this passage actually does have a lot to say about what the Bible, how, how one ought to understand the Bible, or at least how Jesus viewed it. Um, and seeking if, to understand the meaning of what's being communicated. Right, and if, if I mean, if, if it's God's very words and Jesus treats it as such, then that means it has certain kinds of authority. It has a divine authority in it, and rightly understood, and understanding it according to some of the rules that Jesus even demonstrates here, in context, according to the intent of the author, right? The divine author using human, the the human author to convey a a, a godly truth. That when you understand it rightly, it's you're not just reading the words on a page. You're reading something that God said. Let me ask you a question about that, Jeff. Well, hold, hold on just a second. My, sure. my, my, the, here's, here's my big point, though. The big point is then when you read it and you come to a conclusion about it and it says something regarding, like in this case, divorce and remarriage, then like you can choose to dismiss it if you like, but do recognize that what you're dismissing at that point. Don't, don't try to protect yourself by saying, well, it's just an interpretation. Fine. Then you need to, you need to suggest a different interpretation that makes sense of the author's intent here. And if your interpretation doesn't make sense of the author's intent, as well as the one you're dismissing, you are on very thin ice. Okay. Because this isn't something, this isn't a game to be played with that you're actually dealing with the words of the Lord Jesus here. And he has authority, right? The kind of power that resurrected him from the grave. So, and he is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and will be forever. Amen. And you will stand before him one day. So be very careful when you dismiss the word of God or what it says at a particular point, because you don't like it. And that is often uh, tempting when you read a hard word and you're like, well, you know, I don't necessarily want to apply that to my life. Right. So what do you do? Well, you look for escape routes. And one of the escape routes you often see is, well, maybe I just didn't read that correctly. Yeah, and again, I, I want to make a caveat here too that there are, there are we have misread texts before, and so there is a there is a healthy dose of of humility that you that you come to the Bible with, recognizing that I do see things through lenses, and I want to understand it better, but I also don't think that you are so bound behind your lenses that the Bible can't be clear at all. God's really good at revealing things. Like he's a good revealer. He's a better revealer than you are uh, uh, than you are behind your lenses. He can get through to you. He did with Moses. He does it through the. I mean, does it all the time. Mm-hmm. But Jeff, what do you think? Let, maybe let's just hit a couple of the key ideas behind hermeneutics, because I could imagine some people listening to us now and going, "Well, I want to make sure I'm reading the Bible correctly." Uh, what What are just some simple things that people could do to make sure that they're reading the Bible correctly? Three rules to biblical exegesis. Yeah, context. Context, context. There you have it. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be helped by historical context and and cultural understandings and stuff. But the truth be known, you can understand most of what the scripture says if you just read it in its in its context. One of the things that I often find is that people want to read the Bible from a twenty first century perspective, and you know because we we intuitively do that. Most of the challenges that we have with scripture have to do with that. Like when we, when we have, so if I have trouble, for example, with uh, a, a passage or in the Old Testament or w- the way that God is revealed there, then usually the reason that I have difficulty with it is because I'm approaching it with 
my 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 contemporary lenses understanding that the world operates in a certain way. So I might have difficulty reading a passage of scripture and saying, well, like Jesus did this miracle. He fed 5,000. Really? Because I don't see that kind of thing happening very often. And I don't even know if it does. I live in a world of science and things. And so that does, that didn't happen. So then we, then we judge it by our modern ideas and don't let the scriptures speak and challenge in fact, our worldviews at that point say, well, maybe your your scientific, and I use that word in particular, a scientific or secular worldview, which is driven by, you know, just an understanding of the scientific method and all these sorts of things. And all truth basically boils down to just that approach. That's how you determine it is scientific, repeatable data, all that sort of I stuff. I often want to make a distinction personally between scientific naturalism and, you know, you can, because you can have Christians doing great science. Right. Right. It, it's a specific kind. Wouldn't you right. agree it's a specific kind of scientific worldview? We're yeah, but about. I'm saying there's, I'm calling it scientism. That, that, yeah, that, scientism that, all might, truth, yeah. that all truth boils down to what can be proved in a, by a Bunsen burner and a beaker. Um, materialism. That, materialism. So, but, but that, if you're going to approach the Bible with a materialist viewpoint, you're going to have a lot of trouble with it because yeah. it's not, it's not that kind of book. And then you say, well, it's not true then. Whoa, just a minute there. You think that you, you have an assumption about the world that is non-provable, Right. Like that worldview, in fact, if you put it in a beaker and put a Bunsen burner underneath it, wouldn't be able to hold up. So the very worldview that you have is is dismissed by the worldview mm-hmm. that you have. So I all I'm, all I'm saying is that we we need to have a certain kind of humility about our own perspectives, and we need to kind of lay them on the table. We have a bunch of presuppositions that we come to passages of scripture with. We lay them on the table, and then we say, okay, but what did the author of this text mean in his context? And given all the historical and cultural factors at play, and for we example, try to understand Jesus it. is a Jew, right, 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 and, and he ta- he spoke like a Jew using Jewish principles and ideas, and he also spoke in hyperbolic ways the way Jews did in those days. And so, when he mm-hmm. says "cut off your hand and gouge out your eye," he's probably not literally meaning that. He's he's essentially saying do something like fight sin drastically. It's in- it's always interesting to me when we'll get caught up on things like that, and you have to show people in our own language yep. where we use similar. Hyperbolic language. Right. But we instinctively do it. But when we read it in the Bible, we think it's different. And this is where you get all sorts of weird theologies that come out by people taking Jesus to mean things that he obviously doesn't mean, given given the the context in which he says them. Right. Or to ignore some of the things that he does say. Right. When you when you. So. But yes, hermeneutics is not actually that challenging. It's always about it's always about context. And, and really what you're doing is reminding yourself that I'm going to apply the same sort of methods I'm, I'm applying when I'm reading the newspaper, or whatever, or a textbook or whatever else it is, as I would as I come to the Bible. I just one of the things I have to even remind myself of, though, because it is so easy to do is to fall back into that 21st century perspective when I'm coming to the scriptures. But, you know, and we, we come to it thinking that this was written in English to, you know, to, to Christians. Yeah. Living in Canada, li- living in Clearbrook. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and and then that's the challenge because that but it's so easy to default there and you've got to you got to remind yourself when you open your scriptures uh, of the context. Hmm. Absolutely, uh, one of the questions that came in from Jeff's sermon kind of deals with this a little bit. We're, we can apply the the tools of hermeneutics to this question and it has to do with um, marriage and polygamy in the Old Testament and also how it's not really 
even denounced clearly in the New Testament. And the question is, is it is it curious or does anyone else find it curious that there's no real firmer direction given in regards to polygamy and marriage in the scriptures? We see Abraham had multiple wives. No firm wives. what? No firm um, definition given to pol- polygamy being wrong. 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 Gotcha. So like Abraham had multiple say wives and Solomon it's not and David. Condemned. And, okay. Right. But this is a point that I was trying to make even in pa- a little bit in passing in my sermon this weekend that it is condemned. It is condemned in the crea- created design. In the same way that divorce is condemned in the created design, it ought not be. And this is what Jesus says right off the right. get-go, right? He points you back to Genesis, right? So my my point is, okay, you're saying you're saying that, oh, look at these places in the in the God's law where He accommodated this and tried to tried to actually curb its effects by by uh, by making sure that certain aspects of it would be regulated. But again, the, the the regulating of a thing does not tacitly approve of the thing regulated. We do this; our laws do this constantly. I listen. I know people. I don't hold this viewpoint, but I know people who say, "Look, the reason that we need to allow marijuana to be sold legally is so that we can regulate it, its effects." Yeah, I and they, they would agree. It's it's a not a good drug. It's not a good thing, but. It's right now out of control. And so we need, in order for, you know, we call it harm reduction, right? We need to, in order to make sure that the world that we're going to live in isn't horrible, we need to create some laws around something, right, that make it legal, even though we don't think it's maybe moral or right or whatever, but make it so that the society we live in isn't adversely affected as it is currently when it's illegal. Do you see? Uh, Smoking's the same way. And so is alcohol. You know, we'll only allow it to be sold at these hours or these days. We, you know, it can only be smoked in these areas or whatever. Right. whatever. And if I imagine that if you went to most people in the, in the government, you ask them, do you think that smoking cigarettes is a healthy thing? They would probably look at you with crazy eyes. And then you could ask them the follow-up, well, why isn't it illegal then? And the response would be, well, we have... Try to curb it as much as we possibly can. And the answer actually is because of hardness of heart, right? People want to do it. They want to do it. They want to do what's unhealthy for them ultimately. And so they're free to do that. Well, same thing. The God created you with some, a level of freedom that you can actually express in doing all sorts of things. And you do. The problem is you ruin God's world because of it. And I ruin God's world because of it. And so God ends up having to create laws that curb, curb that. That does not mean that he endorses polygamy. It doesn't mean he endorses slavery. It means that he longs for a day where those things will not be. And in places where they're not anymore, I don't think we should look to the Bible to say, oh, look, they endor- it endorses it, therefore it should happen. Uh, the slave, Just slave owners in the south of the United States, this is the argument they used, was almost identical to what the Pharisees tried to do with this divorce text. See, in the Old Testament, they had example, God, God's law, you know, God, God's law uh, didn't outright prohibit, but, you know, put curbs on it. Therefore, God's cool with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, that's not that's not right. And Jesus here in this passage, even the one that I preached on, is actually uh, showing that that's not the case. It was interesting, as I've done research on this as well, what I've come across is, because often you'll be like, man, how could Christians justify doing you know, owning slaves or whatever it is. And it's interesting how the different ways that people will justify. So that's one of the ways that we've seen historically. Another way is to just simply deny the humanity of the individual Mm. and say, well, in fact, you know, uh, sub-Saharan Africans, in fact, aren't human beings. And so those rules don't apply to them. 
And and I historically you see this consistently. Yeah, you 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 keep your dog on a leash, so you should keep them on a leash because they don't meet the standards of personhood, which is absolutely stupid and ridiculous and nonsensical. But uh, again, it is something that people have argued from the Bible, which again because it comes back to the same point we were making at the beginning, right? Yeah. That that you need to read the Bible well and understand mm-hmm. understand what's being affirmed. And what's being what's being you know, regulated? These sorts of things it means you got to do the hard work. Yeah, you you need to read it again. It's yep. it's not. But Jesus chastises these guys for. I mean, they they it, all bad readings of the Bible end up having a practical outworking that hurt people. You know that. So it's not most of our bad readings of the Bible, and all of us have some of them, but the most of them. And end up in some sort of false doctrine that it, that that leads people down a path of of practical uh, unhealthiness or doing something that's sinful or something silly in the end. So you think that's an important point that a lot of people forget is that God doesn't have some sort of arbitrary rules that He's put in place because that's the kind of God that He is. He just wants to put these rules on you and and yeah, totally. I don't like shellfish. So. <laughs> We'll include something in our law about And I find a lot of people just forget, no, 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 God's desiring that you would flourish and that that you would do well and that you would live according to how he desires for you to be, which is good. Well, one of the interesting things, I bring up shellfish, one of the interesting things about the context is is you'd also have to include what we call canonical context. So a lot of people will read these days some Old Testament passages and, and apply them directly to Christians. The problem is you and I aren't under the covenant that they were under. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason under theocratic Israel, meaning that theocratic means that God was the king, uh, and they were a, God's chosen possession, and who were supposed to be marked out from the other nations by certain activities. Okay, and yeah. God's law ends up creating is, is an attempt by God to try to create a society among them that is distinguished from the rest of the societies around them. Make a difference. And so when when something said about shellfish. Yeah. Or something we th- we think looks well, dumb. Well, look, shellfish were viewed I- a- as dirty, you know, crustaceans that were eating dirt off the bottom of uh, of the sea, and and which they, by the way, are. But so and they're delicious. So the, they're yeah, they tasty. are. But the distinction, okay, <laughs> but for the people of God in the Old Testament, as a distinction between them and the mm-hmm. people around them, okay, they were they were to come apart, and they were certain parts of their civic life. Right, their their food laws sometimes were part of that. Like we eat differently than the rest of you, as a signifier to the to the fact that the God that we serve demands a certain level of ritual purity. It's different. Now, listen, and we wear different fabrics. You and you. I, but you and I today, we are in Christ, and therefore we have ritual purity in Christ. So the food laws don't apply to us, and we're set apart from from the nations through Christ. Right. So, but again, what I just did there. Is I said that Christ is the fulfillment then of the law at that point, yeah. and but not this is a, an important distinction though, don't you think, Jeff, between the moral law and the ceremonial law? Sure. Well, the moral principles behind the law r- remain, but the actual the actual wording and and the adherence to them is is it, it does not in many cases. And so again, unless Jesus reinstituted it himself. Okay, like for example, I, Jesus doesn't institute the Sabbath laws. He actually, I wouldn't say breaks them, but he ends up trying to explain what they're for. Mm-hmm. He does away the with the food laws. All the food comes down to Peter, right? And 
they're free to eat everything. There's not clean or unclean because all who are in Christ are considered to be clean. And they're able to even share this message so th- with the Gentiles. There's been a, my point is that there has been a distinction made between what happened in the old covenant and what's happened in the new covenant. And we are under the new covenant to apply old covenant rules to new covenant believers is to do the is actually to commit the Galatian heresy. And so I, this, which, which is important to understand that you're not being separated by these ceremonial laws any longer. You're being separated through Christ. Right. So, but my big point here is you might be listening and thinking, what in the world are they talking about? <laughs> my, but my, my big point here is that, that the context of the Bible, the time in which it was written and the, and the covenant under which they were operating is all instructive for you to, to regarding how you should understand that particular text or it, or its meaning and its application, but so many teachers these days will go to will go to passages in the Old Testament. This is one of the real challenges, actually, with some of the the health and wealth prosperity teachers. They go to Old Testament passages and they do apply them directly to Christians as if Jesus never came, and that he in no way fulfills several of the things that they're saying. So, this is a real problem, mm-hmm. and what it ends up doing is it hurts people in the end. And they end up expecting things from God that maybe he doesn't actually promise to New Covenant believers until they see him face to face at the end of their lives or at the return of Christ. So bad, bad, bad Bible reading hurts people. That's what I'm saying. And the problem with it as well is it then is instructive to them where this is how they're going to continue to read the Bible, not just that passage, but other passages and and try to apply this. Uh, the and, the, and the danger then is because is they end up saying something like, well, but I, 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 I'm being biblical. I'm just obeying the scriptures. And I'm like, yeah, but poorly read scriptures. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about how newspaper editors will or newspaper uh, writers will get upset if you misrepresent them. I just couldn't can't help but thinking about applying that to scripture as well and how how much more so the the God of the universe when we misrepresent him and his words. Uh, I think this is a, a great place to, to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you with us again next week. And remember, the truth is out there. <laughs>